0: Hello and welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio. Your hometown news broadcasting from the Debbie Matthews Nashville Realty Newsroom in Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Thursday, February 1st. And we start with local news. The Murray County School Board last week approved $2.4 million in funding, which will go towards turfing the athletic fields at the new Battle Creek High School, which is set to open in time for the 2024-2025 school year. Last summer, the County Commission approved the board's funding request of $28 million in upgrades to athletic facilities. This funding request was for upgrades to athletic facilities, particularly they were going to put in a bunch of field houses, Commission Chairman Eric Previti said. That said, the school board has asked to change what some of that is going for, and they're looking at doing some astroturf for some of the ball fields, he said. Murray County Public Schools Superintendent of Operations Eric Perriman said indoor facilities were originally looked into, but the per square foot price came back well over their $5 million budget. If we go to our larger schools and we spend $8 million pretty quickly, we've blown this budget for everyone else, but we still have this need for spaces for our kids, Perriman said. Places that people can go that they can use and practice. I'm working through that, What we've shifted to, and this was through help with some of our coaches in the district, is looking at putting turf at many of our facilities, he said. In addition to safety, Perriman said turfing would also freeze up money to go towards other schools. Sometimes our middle schools don't get the attention athletically. Sometimes our unit schools fall athletically because the other schools overwhelm them and they're too big. This will free up money for us to move about, he said. Though the board only approved turfing Battle Creek High, Perriman said the district and board are in the process of looking at each campus and its athletic facility needs. Artificial turf, along with other upgrades, are being looked at site by site. Battle Creek High School was addressed at this time due to the construction timeline. Upgrades, including turf options, will begin to be announced in the coming months, Perriman said in a statement. Chairman Pravetti said it is ultimately the board's decision on how they decide to use the funds. The school board is an autonomous board, Pravetti said. They're powered by the state. They can do what they want with the funds once they receive them. Once the county commission gives them the money, it's their money to spend as they need to do with the facilities. Of the $28 million, several other concerns are in the process of being addressed, including the gym at Spring Hill High School, which has been out of compliance with girls' softball. Perriman said one of the mezzanines will be converted into an indoor practice facility for softball, but could also be used for other sports. It will have turf on the concrete, a drop-down net for batting, and we're creating a locker room space for them as well, he said, adding that the other side of the gym will be converted into a wrestling facility. Additionally, locker rooms and upgrades are being looked at for Spring Hill High School, Mount Pleasant High School, Whitthorn Middle School, and equitable locker rooms for Central High's Upper Gym, which Perriman said are Title IX and ADA, which have Title IX and ADA issues. General Motors' Spring Hill workers, along with 45,000 others are who are part of the United Auto Workers Union, will receive a profit-sharing check come February, according to the automaker on Tuesday. The Spring Hill GM plant has more than 3,000 members of the UAW employed at the 11 million square foot plant. They could receive up to $12,250. For 2023, GM's North America pre-tax profits were $12.3 billion, down 5% from $12.9 billion a year ago. The amount of the profit-sharing checks is based on $1,000 per every $1 billion in annual earnings before interest in taxes or pre-tax profits for North America, the Detroit Free Press reported. The checks are paid out in increments of $250, which is why it is $12,250 and not $12,300, GM spokesman David Caldwell said. But to make the full payout, an hourly employee must have accrued 1,850 or more compensated hours during 2023. The $12,250 that GM's UAW-represented workers will receive is not as much as their 2022 payout of $12,750, the highest since 2016 when it was at $12,000 per employee. The payout was not just for full-time permanent employees either. For the first time, GM's union-represented temporary employees and those at GM's battery facilities are now eligible for profit-sharing under the new national agreement the union has with GM. A UAW source confirmed. On October 28, the planet Spring Hill, GM's largest assembly facility in the country, walked off the assembly line and joined the strike. The members have spoken. After years of cutbacks, months of our stand up campaign, and weeks on the picket line, we have turned the tide for the American autoworker, said UAW President Sean Fain. The stand up strike was just the beginning, he said. Just a few days later, the strike was suspended. The strikes began on September 14th and continued for more than 2 months. The strike forced contract negotiations with raises from up uh, from at least 33% to over 160%. After cost of living adjustments and compound compounded wage increases, members received raises of at least 33%, with some of the lowest paid workers receiving raises of up to 160%. Tens of thousands of auto workers saw immediate raises of over 40% upon ratification. Workers no longer need to wait eight years before seeing wage progression. The union was able to secure a three-year wage progression to the top pay rate. The UAW won commitments at all three automakers that will bring thousands of electric vehicle and battery jobs. For the first time in 15 years, current retirees will receive annual bonuses, a $1.25 billion boost in their benefits. Across all three companies, workers hired before 2007 won an increase to their pension multiplier. And although workers hired after 2007 did not win defined benefit pensions, the employer contribution to their 401ks increased by 10%, which will double many members' annual 401k contributions over the life of the contract. Mount Pleasant Recreation Commission has recommended changes to the Boys and Girls Club, which would allow the club a trial run of 120 days to use the West Hall of the Community Center, located at 501 Gray Lane. The recommendation was brought up during the commission's January 10th meeting, in which members also agreed for the trial to last from summer to fall break. You truly get a sense of how the program will run throughout both, said commission member Alicia Busby. Mount Pleasant City Manager Kate Collier said conversations have been brought up about keeping elementary students at the school and instead making it a middle and high school. They may keep the elementary at the elementary and then do middle school and high school at the center, Collier said. Right now there is nothing for middle and high school. That's their goal and target audience and they're not hitting it here, she said. Collier said the motion will likely go before the full city commission in February. It probably won't go to the commission in January because we already have that agenda out, but as long as we give them notice by March, it will probably be in the February agenda because we have to tweak that contract, she said. They said if we had the information by March, it would give them plenty of time, she said. The Boys and Girls Club meet from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. during the summer and 3 to 6 p.m. during the school year. The Commission also discussed events and new ideas for the coming year, including painting classes, which were last paid for with a grant. Busby said the Commission plans on applying for another grant with a two-hour class costing $400. Additional ideas discussed for the year include wine tasting, arts and crafts, cooking and self-defense classes, and a Vendor's Day. The Recreation Commission will next meet February 14th at 5.30 p.m. The Murray County Commission is requesting support from the state to ensure greater financial revenue attached to continued rapid population growth. The commission approved unanimously last week a resolution for state leaders to amend the state's County Powers Relief Act of 2006, which provides adequate facility taxes to communities experiencing rapid growth. With growth comes the increasing need for enhanced infrastructure and services like utility services and new schools. The Commission is seeking alternative ways to create revenue to avoid increasing county property taxes to pay for the extra people and services new development brings. The current act forbids county government from enacting an impact fee on new developments, though it is not restricted from individual municipalities. The Commission's request is that state leaders amend the current law to allow the county the same opportunity. Property taxes have been increased more recently in our high-growth counties. Happened in Sumner, here, and it's happening in Williamson and Rutherford counties, James Dunn, lobbyist in the Tennessee General Assembly, said. In the future, if you do not wish to increase property taxes and want to protect our existing Murray Countians from any further increase, we've got to figure out a way to pay for growth, he said. According to the 2020 census, Murray County is the fastest-growing county in Tennessee, while Rutherford ranks among one of the most populated counties. Dunn added that the deadline to file bills in the State House is January 31st and February 2nd in the Senate, which on average can be up to 4,000 bills annually. Murray County's adequate facilities taxes on new development currently caps off at 50 cents per square foot for residential construction and 30 cents per square foot for commercial property, an amount the Commission calls woefully inadequate in meeting the demands for additional services the county has experienced. By opting into the County Powers Relief Act, the adequate facilities tax would be forfeited, as the law currently states. We've got a bill that would allow you to retain your ability to tax non-residential development that is already in place, Dunn said. That's future buildouts, so we don't put the burden on existing Murray County taxpayers. The Murray County Commission is asking the legislative delegation to support any bills presented to repeal or amend the County Powers Relief Act to allow Murray County to be placed on a level playing field with municipalities to have the authority to collect impact fees on new development. Representative Scott Sepicki said there are a lot of options currently being discussed at the state level to provide funding assistance for rapidly growing counties, and that while this request could provide relief, it's going to take multiple solutions to make a lasting impact. I think it would be disingenuous for anybody to say this whole thing is going to solve the growth problems, Sepicki said. There's no silver bullet for this, but there are tools that we can put in the toolbox to lessen the impact of growth, he said. County Commissioner Ray Jeter commented, saying this is the third attempt at amending the act, and he hopes this request would act as the start of a long-term relationship with state lobbyists fighting on behalf of the local taxpayers, and that this would make a big difference to the nearly 100,000 Murray County citizens. We definitely need somebody who can fight those battles for us in the trenches, Jeter said. This commission is a fighting commission, and we'd load up every one of us and go to Nashville to fight in the trenches with you when that time comes. We just ask that we be kept in the loop on when those opportunities might be, even if that means four or five times loading up to Nashville. We'll be there, he said. Commissioner Gabe Howard added that utilizing the help of lobbyists in a growing county is important because the legislation isn't necessarily tied to one partisanship, but is intended for everybody. It's legislation that matters for growing communities like ours, Howard said. Murray Regional Medical Center is encouraging individuals to help promote awareness of cardiovascular disease by participating in National Wear Red Day on February 2nd. The annual event provides an opportunity to show support for heart health by wearing red. Cardiovascular disease remains the number one killer of both American men and women, accounting for more than 900,000 deaths in the United States every year, according to the American Heart Association. Here are more facts. Cardiovascular disease is responsible for more deaths in the U.S. each year than all forms of cancer and chronic lower respiratory disease combined. Ninety percent of women have one or more risk factors for developing cardiovascular disease. Since 1984, more women than men have died each year from heart disease. The symptoms of heart disease can be different in men and women. People with diabetes are twice as likely to have heart disease or a stroke than someone who doesn't have diabetes. Most cardiovascular diseases can be prevented by addressing behavioral risk factors such as high blood pressure, tobacco use, unhealthy diet and obesity, physical inactivity, and harmful use of alcohol. Increasing awareness is imperative to changing those statistics and fighting this disease, said Murray Regional Health CEO Dr. Martin Cheney. Both men and women should be aware of the signs and symptoms of heart attack and stroke, as well as their individual risk factors for heart disease. Early detection is also essential to effectively treat heart disease, so discuss screenings with your physician, he said. Cardiovascular disease can often lead to heart attacks and strokes, where symptoms can sometimes be hard to spot and can even present themselves differently in women than men. Warning signs of a heart attack include tightness or pain in the chest, discomfort in other parts of the upper body such as the back or jaw, shortness of breath, unusual fatigue and nausea, Women can be more likely than men to experience shortness of breath, nausea and vomiting, or back or jaw pain. The most common symptom of a stroke is sudden weakness of the face, arm or leg, most often on one side of the body. Other signs include sudden confusion, trouble seeing or blurred vision, dizziness or loss of balance, and a sudden severe headache with no known cause. Anyone who thinks they might have be experiencing heart problems should call 911 immediately. Murray Regional Health's emergency responders are equipped to begin treatment immediately and relay vital information to the hospital while en route to the emergency department. Physicians and staff are then waiting for the patient and can begin treating immediately. Treatments may include intervention in the cardiac catheterization lab to open the blocked vessel, or in severe cases, patients may be referred to for open-heart surgery. Murray Regional Medical Center is recognized as a chest pain center with PCI by the American College of Cardiology and holds certification in the treatment of heart failure from the Joint Commission. It also recently received reaccreditation in echocardiography from the Intersocietal Accreditation Commission in the areas of adult transthoracic and adult stress. You can learn more by visiting www.murrayregional.com forward slash heart. A new art exhibit celebrating African American History Month will display in the heart of downtown Columbia at the Visit Columbia Welcome Center, located at 713 North Main Street. This exhibit will feature local artist Kenitra Bumpus, showcasing her tremendous talent. The exhibit will run through February during business hours, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., Saturday, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., Sunday, 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. The art pieces will be available for purchase throughout the through the artist directly. Kenitra Bumpus is a visual visual artist who specializes in acrylics with vibrant colors to show positivity and life. Her style is to layer the paint and typically use about 12 layers on each painting. She enjoys using bright colors to show the liveliness and beauty of black people. Kenitra is passionate about illustrating each piece with a different feeling and mood. She uses realism mixed with her own style. Kenitra has been painting for three years, but she's been an artist since age eight. Her goal is to spread light and positivity with each piece she creates. People are encouraged to stop by the Welcome Center to view the exhibit, learn more about Bumpus, her art style, and the stories behind her pieces. Join Murray Alliance and Breakfast Roadie for their annual State Eggs and Issues. This event features a panel discussion and question and answer session with State Senator Dr. Joey Hensley, Representative Scott Sipicki, and Representative Kip Kapley. The event will take place on February Friday, February 23rd from 7 to 8 a.m. at the Memorial Building located at 308 West 7th Street in Columbia. The cost is $25 for members, $30 for future members. If you are a member of Breakfast Rotary, you do not need to purchase a ticket for this event. To submit a question or topic in advance for consideration, please email Elizabeth Gallegos at E-G-A-L-L-E-G-O-S at com. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mr. Randy Irvin Davidson, 71, a retired machine operator for Union Carbide and a resident of Kalioka, died Saturday, January 27th at Murray Regional Medical Center. Funeral services for Mr. Davidson will be conducted Friday, February 2nd at 1 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Thursday, February 1st from 4 to 8 p.m. at the funeral home. Mr. William D. Buddy Smith, 76, a resident of Columbia and retired owner and operator of Columbia Fire Equipment, passed away Tuesday at Murray Regional Medical Center. A family graveside service will be conducted on Saturday, February 3rd at 11 a.m. at Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Friday, February 2nd from 4 to 8 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Miss Susan Gale Benderman, sixty nine, a former counselor with Centerstone, died Thursday, january twenty fifth at Murray Regional Medical Center. Memorial services will be conducted on Saturday, february third, at two PM at Oaks and Nichols funeral home. The family will visit with friends on Saturday, february third from twelve PM until the time of the services at the funeral home. James Dillard Irwin Jr. seventy four. A loving husband of Retha Irwin, an electrician and HVAC specialist for Morgan Brothers Electric and a resident of a Santa Fe, died Tuesday, January 30th at Murray Regional Medical Center. Funeral services for Mr. Irwin will be conducted on Sunday, February 4th at 2 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Fly Cemetery. The family will visit with friends on Sunday, February 4th from 12 p.m. until service time at the funeral home. Mrs. Nettie Lou Walker Durham, 95, a housekeeper for Murray Regional Medical Center and resident of Columbia, died Tuesday, January 30th, at Life Care Center of Columbia. Funeral services for Mrs. Durham will be conducted Monday, February 5th, at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Henryville Cemetery. The family will visit with friends on Sunday, February 4th, from 4 to 8 p.m. at the funeral home. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration. and why
1: your satisfaction is so important to Jeff Hargrove and Susie Sowell. There's a great deal of satisfaction in serving a family and serving them well. It's an eye for detail and thoughtfulness and taking the time to see that things are done right. We do have nice facilities and good people and we work hard to do things well, but we don't want that to intimidate people as to what they think it will cost. Taking care of you is our primary concern.
0: Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern Middle Tennessee weather, we will have a mix of clouds and sun today with increasing clouds as the day goes on. The high will be 59 degrees with light and variable winds. Tonight, we can expect clouds and a low of 38. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee today. So <smart noise>
1: This is George Rouse with The Way Realty. Please allow me to share a little bit about us. We measure our success by the quality of service you receive. We provide many ways to help you get the most when selling your house, like home staging, landscaping, repairs, professional pictures, and aggressive marketing. Our listings are posted on the MLS, Realtracks.com, Zillow, Realtor.com, and Trulia your house will most likely be your biggest investment for your family and for your future retirement. Let us help you fulfill the American dream by buying, building, or selling your next home. And most importantly, let this new year be a great year by putting Jesus first in your life. Jesus Christ changes lives. I know because He changed mine.
0: Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7. This program is sponsored in part by George Varilis and the great team at The Way Realty. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. Gas prices across the state moved more expensive last week, rising 8 cents on average. The Tennessee gas price average is now $2.79, which is 2 cents more expensive than one month ago, but 49 cents less than one year ago. Here's some quick facts. 39% of Tennessee gas prices have prices below $2.75. The lowest 10% of pump prices are $2.56 for regular unleaded. The highest 10%, $3.10. Tennessee is currently the 14th least expensive market in the nation. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today.
2: Have you ever wondered if your insurance needs can be personalized? This is Hunter Carey. Our team specializes in planning your insurance needs to get you the best possible solution. State Farm is the largest home and auto insurer in the country. I love bringing that to my hometown. Born and raised in Columbia, I'm grateful for our close community ties. We offer help with home, auto, and life insurance for everyone in our community. Our office is located at 909 South Garden Street, across from the fire station. We're also online at huntercarey.com. That's huntercary.com.
0: Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today, and now our final story. Waterstead Public Theater announced the third production of their 2023-24 season is Robin Hood and Friends, an original play written and directed by Columbia resident Beverly Mitchell. Public performances run February 2nd and 3rd at 7 p.m. and February 3rd and 4th at 3 p.m. at Cherry Theater, located in the Hickman Building at the Columbia State Community College, located at 1665 Hampshire Pike. According to Mitchell, her adaptation is a retelling of the legend based on historical facts, combined with inept heroes and sarcastic maidens who somehow find their happy ending. Robin Hood and his band of merry men and women, or woman, experience adventure and hijinks as they attempt to rescue Maid Marian from the Sheriff of Nottingham. For more details or to join WPT's mailing list, visit watershedpublictheater.org.